big accumulation yeah. park on you know, both sides. Okay. Yeah. So kind of, you know. I don't know. What my notes. Okay. There was a time I could manage on a, a three-point outline and have it all in my head, but not anymore. This brain has slowed down. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, the title this morning uh, is Raising Go Godly Seed. And it's very topical, of course, because of the uh, dedication of Elizabeth today. I want you to go to the book of Malachi. Now, through the wonders of technology, um, it's on the screen there, I think. But in the book of Malachi, it sets forth some very important information regarding marriage. In Malachi chapter 2 and around verses 14 and 15, only two verses, but we get a lot of information here about marriage. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Let's pray and then we'll dive into this here. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, without it we're in darkness. Uh, Lord, it's the lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. We ask now that you would bless this morning as we look at your word. Bless those who would uh, listen live here, those who would listen later to the recording. May your word speak to our hearts. May your word instruct us. May your word prick us. May your word deal with us as whatever it needs, whatever you deign it needs. Uh, I look to you for myself, for strength, for body, for soul, but most of all for spirit that I make your word of God clear and plain and that we might be blessed from your word. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the book of Malachi here, chapter 14 and 15, just two verses, uh, we have an amazing amount of information here concerning marriage. First of all, we learn it's a covenant, um, verse 14. So it's not just something to be discarded. God intends, in fact, marriage to be uh, a lifelong covenant. But also, of course, we also see um, the um, fact of companionship is mentioned in verse 14. Uh, it reminds us of the book of Genesis where God said to Adam, Before Eve had been made, it is not good for the man to be alone. The uh, marriage um, provides for companionship, number one. But it goes beyond that. In uh, verse 15, and wherefore one, number two are made one, one flesh, that he might seek a godly seed. So it's not just companionship, it's not just uh, a covenant, you know, and so on. Uh, it's to produce seed, but not just any old seed, it's godly seed. Now, it is possible to raise godly children today. Now, we are in a very hostile environment. You have to realize. Unless you were asleep or have been, 
we are in a hostile environment as Christians. If you are a Christian, or if you're considering the Christian life, uh, considering turning to Christ as your Savior, uh, as soon as you step over that line and trust Christ as your Savior, you are in a hostile environment. However, we should also realize we're not in quite the hostile environment that first century Christians experienced. Uh, how many of us uh, in this neck of the woods have been killed for our faith? How many Christians have died for their faith? Probably not too many. Maybe some, but we don't get to hear about them, but very, very little, right? You can go to other parts of the world where people are being killed for their faith. We have uh, communication with um, some Christians in Pakistan, and one of the men there has got a picture of, can't pronounce his name, but he was in prison for two years for allegedly saying something not nice about the Prophet Muhammad, you know, all that stuff. And a lot of Christians are killed uh, in Africa and Far East and all part China. Terrible things are happening to Christians, so uh, our affliction is but a light one. But uh, nonetheless, we're in a hostile environment. And uh, this present age, it's tightening its grip on the society we live in. And it's going to get worse. So you better prepare for worse. Be steeled in your heart for worse. Now, uh, looking at this subject, I'm not claiming to be an authority or an expert or to have done a perfect job. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a lot of things I wish I had known, we had known then, right? Yeah. I disagree. That we had known then, that we kind of got to know now. But over the years, um, we are aware of many situations even with Christians, I mean, I'm thinking of Christians now, who are experiencing a great deal of grief from their children, their adult children. And it's sad. And, you know, looking at the situations there, you have to, you know, you, and without being judgmental or nasty, and some of these people are dear friends of ours, and we are very heartbroken over what they're going through, you wonder what went wrong. What went wrong? I do believe we have in the Word of God all the answers we need. The problem is we don't spend enough time in this book and in this Word. Uh, we have time for all kinds of other stuff. Um, entertainments, now there's obviously putting bread on the table and all that necessity. And there are necessities of life. But there are also non-necessities, and somehow they seem to take over and crowd in, and we neglect at our peril this word, and neglect to obey the principles. You see, we can know, and there are lots of people I know who have been to colleges and so on, know the Bible backwards, but they're not applying it. They're not living it, and that's, that's the big difference. So, um, I don't claim uh, perfection. Uh, and so on, in terms of knowing all the answers. But the Word of God has the answers. It's certainly God's uh, plan. Uh, children are a heritage of the Lord, we're told in the Psalms. Um, they're a source of joy, and so forth. And children do bring a great joy. But we have to acknowledge there are times of great stress, and grief, and there's illness, and there's accidents, etc., but God's plan is that they bring you joy in infancy, 
and in childhood and even the teenage years uh, should be and can be years of joy. They don't have to be characterized by rebellion and all the way into adulthood. But most of all, of course, God's desire is that we see godly seed. In other words, children grow up to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to have faith and be as adults walking with God. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, we of course have, and you have, and all parents have, an enemy. John chapter 8 verse 44, now I don't know if I gave him all these verses, because I'm telling you, I'm looking at a good few, but John 8 44, you see, you have an enemy. I have an enemy. We're told in 1 Peter, by the way, that he is a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. And he is seeking to devour families, he's seeking to break up families, he's seeking to break up marriages, etc. Uh, John 8, 44, uh, we re find here revealed the character of our enemy. He hates our guts, he hates your guts, he hates you. He wants to impede you. And how can you possibly overcome? Well, he's not omnipotent. That's the good news. He is not omnipotent. We are not at his mercy. We have resources. You have resources uh, that will allow you to have victory and to overcome in all circumstances that God allows to come your pathway. John 8 verse 44, we read, You year of your father the devil. It's a pretty strong statement from the Savior. The Savior did not mince his words, you know. He was strong and direct. You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. So we are against a formidable enemy, and this enemy controls the media. In fact, this enemy controls the government. The government passes laws that are anti-family. I mean, what greater law could, could be anti-family than the law that permits babies to be killed in the womb? Mm. And then we can go on from there. What is mandated to be taught in the schools today is just pure wickedness. So much of it. So we're against all that, but you don't have to be despondent and despairing. Now, so the question, of course, would be asked, well, is it possible in this situation to um, raise godly seed? Well, the Word of God tells us, yes, it is possible. It has been possible under far worse circumstances than we face. But it certainly requires labor, it requires effort, it requires concentration. It won't just happen by accident. It won't just fall into place. In fact, nothing in life, you know, I love your building here. Uh, you've got it really looking nice. Well, do you know what? You've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into making it looking nice. It doesn't just happen. Nothing in life of worth happens without effort. That's just the world we live in. It's a fallen world, it's a messed up world, and nothing happens by accident or by just slipping into place without effort. It requires effort. And there is one area that supremely um, is worth the effort, is in bringing up children. You know, whether your house is super duper and everything's nice, and we live in an age where people live in gorgeous houses with everything looking lovely and nothing wrong with that, but if the children are not getting the attention they need, 
doesn't matter how nice the house is. I much prefer to have an untidy house that is in need of painting than to have children who have been neglected and not been brought up in the nurture and admonition. So, how do you raise godly seed? Well, you need godly parents. And godliness is a lifelong um, growth called sanctification. Go to Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, which uh, is well worth um, memorizing and it's very brief. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. God starts off with the negative. We're afraid of negative today. Um, we're afraid of being negative. Oh, we don't want Christians to appear negative, etc. But God starts off with the negative. The Christian is characterized by, first instance, by what he's not. Not what he is, by what he's not. Because we're living in a fallen world and we need a space between us and the world. Uh, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Where do people look for their advice? Now, some of us here are um, perhaps old enough to remember a guy called Benjamin Spock. Not the guy on the science fiction thing, okay? <laughs> a different Spock, I think. That's the right pronunciation. You might have heard of Benjamin Spock, okay? We got some nods here. He uh, produced a book in the 19... Um, well, it's called Baby and Child Care. It outsold everything except the Bible in the 1950s and 60s. People were very much influenced by it, and some people consider that the 1960s age of rebellion was largely influenced by his book. But uh, Psalm 1 verse 1, where do we get our counsel from? This Spock, probably almost certainly dead now, um, was the last man. And it was worldly advice. In fact, his uh, attitude was basically, don't, he said, uh, don't restrict the child, don't have anything negative, don't, you know, don't hinder them. You will hinder them by being negative, by holding them back, by saying no. Absolutely, utterly wrong. Uh, but where do you get your counsel? Where do you get your counsel from? People are, Christians are looking in the wrong places. Don't look for the um, to the ungodly. Now, if you want to learn how to uh, make a radiator cabinet, uh, you can go to YouTube, and that's okay. But when it comes to raising children, things to do with God and life, the Word of God is the place to go, not the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, so, he doesn't follow, the godly person does not follow the counsel of the ungodly. So, if you were to be a godly Christian, whether you're past parenthood or whatever, you know, that's not part of your life, you still need to be a godly person. You see, the lost people out there view counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, they view a man is simply a highly developed animal. You're just a highly developed animal. So morality does not come into it. Right and wrong do not come into it. And so often I see Christians having uh, marriage problems, and we know of one um, marriage that apparently broke up. Uh, they weren't regular at church or anything, but 
during the, the lockdown. One is a professing Christian, never even asked us to pray about the situation, never even knew. We found out much later, didn't take part in online services or anything. But they went to the, the ungodly. They went to lost people for advice. And lost people are going to give bad advice. They will not view marriage as a covenant, something to be held on to. Uh, well, you can discard that just like you would your tissue, you know. <laughs> Throw it away. Um, they're not going to seek to work out. I, there's another couple we know of um, experiencing a lot of heartache and... Uh, do you, do you think uh, they would look to a pastor for some input? No. Going to lost people. So don't follow the, don't go after the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. The godly parent is separate from sinful people, sinful ways, doubtful things. Now, it doesn't mean that we're standoffish. We are to reach out to people. Jude 23 talks about pulling people out of the fire, um, but hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You know, we, we don't like their fleshly ways, we don't like their sinful ways, but we do love them and seek to reach out, but uh, we, don't, we don't stand with them and walk with them and imbibe their philosophies. We get our outlook from the Word of God. Verse 3, Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. <clears throat> you know, when Ruth and Lydia were growing up, uh, the um, met some Christian young people and uh, these Christian were nice enough but they scorned them for some of their standards Christians you should never scorn another Christian for having standards maybe they're higher than yours certainly shouldn't discourage them should be glad for them but um, the scornful those we got lots of scorners and of course the media, do they, do they ever portray Christians as being well-balanced, sensible people? Always, always scorn. And then we have the positive, uh, verse 2, Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, we have access to counsel that is utterly superior to anything the world has to offer, because the world doesn't understand. Man. Jesus, we're, we're, we read in the Gospels about Jesus that he didn't trust himself to any man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. And as Christians, we should know what's in the heart of man, and it ain't good. Mm. Okay, it's not good. So, um, we go to the person who understands. If you want your car fixed, I mean, I haven't done any car work, car work recently, but I've all changed. You have to have so much equipment. Uh, better leave it to the expert and I might make a mess. You know, there's a lot of things like brain surgery, you leave it to the experts, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> the Word of God, God is the expert and He tells us how to deal with things. So, um, we need to prioritize the Word of God. In His law doth He meditate day and night. Now, uh, of course, as I said earlier, knowing the Word of God is uh, grand, you know, it's dangerous. Because the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. In other words, when your head is filled with information, and you see, uh, maybe you see on TV, you know, these, uh, these guys at Oxford and Cambridge, you know, they have these formal parades, uh, you know, going to the conferring ceremony, all these funny things on, and cloaks and gowns. 
uh, all filled with pride. They think they know something. They actually know very little. They might be very specialized. They might know about atomic physics or highfalutin stuff. But do they know about the Creator? End of the book of Job. What does God say to Job? Where were you when I did all this? The more they delve, the more they realize how little they actually know. So, um, it's dangerous when people go to Bible colleges and they don't, they're not applying it. And we've seen people like that. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. For all these things, well, let me read one and two. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? That's the temple. For all these things have mine hands made, and all these things have been made, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. In other words, when they hear the word of God, they're, they're taking it on board, they're, they're humble, they're teachable, they're prepared to listen and say, and it touches their heart. Because you see, you can get used to the Word of God. You know, the, there are dangers in the Christian life of just getting familiarized with this book that, oh well, that's obviously not for me, you know. This is to do with bringing up babies and I'm not in that position right now so I can just turn off and fall asleep. Right? You know what people do. <laughs> I know that's what people do. And especially during the announcements, they always fall asleep. <laughs> okay. So, a godly parent prioritizes the word. I see out in the, in the uh, entranceway, I think it's whatever direction it is there, uh, you have a Bible reading program. And one of the most wonderful things you can do is, and you can get them into various formats. I've prepared one myself, it's on my website, bible.ie. But um, to be reading through the word of God. To read the Word of God every day. To read through the Word of God every year. Now, you're probably saying, how could I possibly find time for that? Do you know what? We have no excuses today. Because if you're catching a train, a bus, I mean, you don't even have to carry a great big Bible with you. You don't even have to carry a miniature Bible. So a brother over in uh, Ireland has um, produced a little app that you can actually read the Scripture on your phone. Because lots of others. But his one is... Got some sound stuff in there. Um, spare moment. You can even actually have it read to you see, while you're shaving in the morning. <laughs> I'm not too sure if there's too, can too many candidates for that here. But uh, the time I spend in the bathroom in the morning, um, I listen to stuff. I don't listen. I, I did used to listen to scripture. I used to drive Ruth crazy, actually. Didn't I remember one time... <laughs> I used to have it on loud. That was before I had a hearing problem, too. <laughs> I used to have it on loud, and I could hear it around the house. Scorby. Very nice recordings. Um, there, we have no excuse today for not getting through the Word of God. Of course, the best thing is to have it through the eye and the ear. How about it? You know, you're never going to be godly, and you're never going to keep being godly unless you're in the Word of God. Every day. And you've got to prioritize. That takes time. You've got to deny other things. Uh, Psalm 1 verse uh, 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate. You're thinking. And this is before we even get on to any detail of the minutiae of children, you know. So, reading a passage, considering it, 
submitting yourself to it, obeying it, this, your challenge, putting that right, discussing it with godly people, with the true, now this is in relation to children, raising children, delighting in it, praying over it, sleeping on it, waking up in the morning and you're thinking more. That's, that's, that's Bible study. You know, Bible study is not watching a YouTube video. 99% of the stuff on YouTube is rubbish. I mean, Bible teaching is unbalanced or heretical. Uh, somebody sent me an email and was in college with him and he talked about how life was, his life has been frittered away with the trivialities of life. And where is it gone? It is flying. Uh, reading the Word of God each day, you hold on to something valuable. And you get um, counsel. The responsibility of fathers, by the way, Ephesians 6.4. And he, why does it address fathers? Because, biblically, and this goes against the spirit of the age, uh, the Bible teaches that the fathers are to be leaders in the home, and the mother is to follow uh, the godly lead. And uh, we were in a home once, quite a long time ago, and uh, Daddy, Daddy was in the corner playing computer games. hope I'm not trying to get any Daddy's corns here, but... One of the sons ended up in, a, in jail. And it was something that happened in the family. And he should have been spending time watching over the family. Listen, leave the, leave the games for the kids. And they're pretty attractive. I mean, they're so realistic. I mean, I had this thing on my computer once. I don't have any number. It's just amazing. But... We've got more important things to do. Fathers can be very neglectful. And uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have some lovely scripture there. Now, I've lost track of my time. I usually have a timer here. What time are we? How long have I been speaking for? 26 minutes, is that right? Is that what it says up there? Yeah. Okay. That's a useful thing to have. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you normally finish at 12? Uh, yeah, give it a <laughs> I'm not even into the stuff yet. May I take it for another time? Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have a lovely picture here of the nurture, verses 1 to 9. Let's, let's read here. Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go in to possess. This is the nation of Israel going into the promised land. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command thee, thou, and thy children, thou and thy son, thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. And particularly, verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou, thou risest up. In other words, the word of God, so even when you're taking your kids out to the park, and you know, it's so beautiful, you can talk about, you know, Jesus made all this. It's a beautiful world. It is messed up. 
And Sarah said the other day, she went to the forest school, and some of the children won't play with me. Well, that's a little opportunity to talk about. The fact is, people are sinners, and they, they do bad things. They're not necessarily evil, as we would talk about. They can be selfish and nasty, and children can be very nasty to each other, can't they? Not to mention adults, but children can be very nasty. But that's an opportunity for instruction. Nurture uh, is positive. But there's also admonition. Admonition. You know, um, we are so influenced by the spirit of the age and the counsel of the age that we're afraid to put restrictions. We're afraid to be negative. We're afraid to be strict. I would say, uh, one thing, um, the biggest lesson that I've seen over... 40 years of ministry is that the parents who are not strict, who are slack, who are afraid of being strict, are the ones sadly who end up with sub-optimal results, if you want to put it that way. In other words, don't be afraid of being strict. Uh, as Now, Spock, Benjamin Spock, now, yeah, the... Um, this book, uh, read a review there. He, he um, the man, what did I call him? The man who said it was all right to love your children and be a show affection. Uh, it's probably a re reaction to the Victorian idea: children are to be seen and not heard, and you know, and not to be embracing them and kiss them and all. You know, this is kind of hardness. Um, and so if that's true, yes, that's okay, but letting a child do its own thing is not good. Proverbs 29:15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. In other words, letting them do what they want is not a good idea. Don't be afraid to set boundaries and hold strongly to them and firmly and apply consequences for breaking them. They don't always have to be the rod. Uh, but there should be consequences, because that's a very important lesson in life. Uh, people in general need to know there are consequences for their actions. And a lot of people live, go through life as if there are no consequences for living without God. And we teach at a young age, when we teach our children, there are consequences for things they do. Uh, that's an important lesson, because they're going to need that lesson throughout life, through work life, through school life through employment, and most of all in dealing with God, because God does apply consequences. We, are, we have consequences for our things. In fact, the Word of God tells us that we're going to render account for every idle word. Uh, every one of us shall give account of ourselves to God. It's going to be very detailed. So, there are consequences in eternity. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go. So the parent decides the right way to go. What's right and what's wrong. What's appropriate for bedtime, to read, to wear, etc. And as the child grows, then there's a little bit more room for uh, discussion. But, um, you know, preferences and so forth. But uh, the parent's in control. Parents is, is, is in the driving seat. Now, of course, uh, 
um, children are told they can even choose what gender they are. Which is totally nuts. Where's the science? Follow the science, we're supposed. Science is very clear. There aren't 30 or 40 genders. It's ludicrous stuff. Anyway, um, recognize what you're dealing with. We were, uh, I was walking home, dropped the car off for repair. The guy was walking home. There's a guy with uh, headphones on, uh, tried to talk to people, I'm working on it. It's not a natural thing for me, but I try and work on it. And he took the headphones off, we got chatting. Turns out he was the manager of a radio station, community radio, hardly anyone listens to it, but anyway. And then somehow, I don't know what I'm talking about, the Bible or whatever. And when uh, I talked about man being a fallen creature, so I don't believe that. See, the world believes that man is inherently good. Got bad news for you. That child of yours is not inherently good. That sweet, cute little child has a sin nature. And you get to find out about it pretty fast because that child manifests that sin nature, that selfishness, that determination that what I want will prevail and not what mommy or daddy want. That's manifested very young. In fact, uh, as soon as they start, you know, if you say no, I remember uh, um, <laughs> our children, you know, no, a certain children of us, I burst into tears. That means they know what you're saying. They know the restriction and they want to do something different. They have rebellion. They're fallen. Adam fell. And it's like, can you imagine a climbing wall or one of those cliffs there? There's El Capitan. I've never seen it in California. I've seen pictures. Just looking at the video of the guy climbing, the guy who climbs it without any rope makes me Ugh. can't stand it. But the guys who go with ropes, you know, Adam's at the top. He falls. We're all connected. He's pulled down the whole race. We're living in a messed up world. We're messed up people. But for the grace of God, we're messed up. And if you don't get put right through the cross, you'll end up on the scrap heap, God's scrap heap. So you're dealing with a fallen sinner. Go back to the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, we don't need to go any further. We see the first baby born into the world. You can imagine Eve and that cute little baby, Cain. What did he do? Killed his brother. I mean, that's, that's just horrendous, isn't it? Terrible. So, we are living with the reality of all the world. There are consequences, there are costs. And we dare not, parents dare not give in and lose this battle because it's a battle of who's in charge. Because that child, whatever child you, every child has that fallen nature wants to have its way. And when you train it, when you train that child to submit, you're actually helping that child, you're helping his future time in school. It must be horrendous as a school teacher these days. Uh, you're training that child in employment. Submit to the boss. The Bible says so. By the way, doesn't it? 
and you're training that child in terms of its salvation. You're helping that child to be saved. In fact, there's a verse in Proverbs, I don't think we're going to have time to look at it today, but there's a verse in Proverbs that actually tells us that. So, this is crucially important, not just for you have an easy life and when you have, uh, you have children who are submiss submitted to uh, their authority, it's a lot easier than when they're doing their own thing. Uh, a little example, um, you know, you can give in so easily. I am aware of a, a family, the little boy um, liked to play with the keys. Where my keys are, <laughs> car keys, house keys, and um, they like to play with them. Uh, we would never let our children play with the keys, because we know the cost of replacing the keys. Well, um, they got they paid a high price because they couldn't find the car keys. Children put things in places like rubbish bins. They get put out, they get go to the rubbish tip. And do you know how much it costs to replace those electronic keys? <laughs> About a thousand. They had to get their vehicle, couldn't go to work, had to have it towed to the garage, get the code deciphered, new keys made. All because they gave in to the child. But there's a much higher price. There are much higher prices than that to be paid best by giving in. You don't give in to a, to a little pre-rolled or whatever. But the Bible talks about their crying. They get their way by crying. They, they manipulate you. Oh, oh, right. You know, give in. You're going to have it. Or why do the supermarkets put sweeties by the checkout? Are they still doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, and the child throws a tantrum. I want, I want my chocolate. I want chocolate. You give in once, you give in every time. You just have to have the, the backbone to say no. And um, there may need to be consequences if the child makes a big fuss, you know, and so on. But you, if you give in, the child will always expect you to have purchased that chocolate at the checkout. But if you hold fast and say no and are resolute and whatever they throw at you, and by the way, don't tolerate um, intimidation and coercion, from a four-year-old, five-year-old, or whatever. It's crazy. Uh, we're dealing with fallen creatures. The Bible talks about foolishness. Proverbs 22, verse 15. I'm going to wind down, I think, with this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, if you think, well, oh, they're just, they're just lack information. No, no, no. When we track this word throughout the book of Proverbs, sometimes it's translated as folly. It's not lack of intellect, it's not lack of brain power, it's actually rebellion. And it's actually defined in Proverbs 19, verse, first of all, it's in um, 22.15, is the verse I referred to. Foolishness is found up in the heart of a child. Okay? It's defined actually in chapter 19, verse 3. The foolishness of a man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the law. That's that's a couplet. So it's it's to do with it's a sinful attitude. And further in twenty four 
19, we uh, learn a little bit more. Take their Psalm 59, I'll go there instead, 69 and verse 5. 69 verse 5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Okay, that's another couplet. The Bible does this kind of duality thing where we have something stated in different ways. So it's it's sinful. It's a sinful, rebellious attitude that's involved here. And children have it. It's bound up in their heart. And parents, uh, your responsibility is to deal with that. Bring them up, yes, in nurture and admonition, uh, but also at times, especially in the face of rebellion, the Psalm 22, 15, the rod of correction. Now again, uh, this is this is um, against the spirit of the age. Increasingly, governments are legislating and saying you cannot uh, chasten your children uh, physically. Now, the unbelieving world equates physical chastisement with child abuse. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I think because parents are lacking information on disciplining children and so on, and lacking biblical perspective, a lot of the time because they're just driven to distraction by this little three-year-old, that you just kind of handle, they don't know what to do with them, they don't have a handle on them, and eventually they lash out. And some horrible, really horrible things in the newspapers, terrible things done to little kiddies. Oh, it's tragic. If only people knew the Word of God and obeyed the Word of God. Well, I've gone on longer than I should have this morning. There's one book I recommend on this subject. It's only 70 small A5 pages. It's called, Now That I Have Children, What Do, do I Do With Them? Study in Proverbs and Christian Parenting. And apart from the Bible, this little book, I think that's all the parents need. You don't need to read every book that the world produces on parenting. Most of it will be Godless rubbish. The Word of God and the counsel of godly pastors is what you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway in the midst of this dark world. We thank you for the Savior and uh, His love for little ones. Little ones were brought to Him. The disciples rebuked Him and uh, didn't want them annoying him, but he said, let the little ones come to him. Pray, Lord, for uh, this word, Lord. We need to be godly. We need to be in your word. We need to be growing. Help your people uh, to be growing in your word. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Okay.